everybody, this is Jimmy Smith. Today on the MMA on SiriusXM podcast, I sit down with UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou to discuss his injury recovery, his return to the octagon, and how his talks with the UFC are going. I also get a preview of Canelo versus Triple G3 and talk the latest boxing news with Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood. You are now joined by a very, very, very special guest. That's right, the lineal heavyweight champion of the UFC. That is Francis Ngannou. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to have you, man. So, uh, first question I have for you, man. Of course, as all fans are wondering, uh, how is your return timetable? How is rehab going? How is recovery from the surgery? Well, um, the recovery has been good. I mean, it's moving slow. So, but I think it makes sense because they said he was about a minimum of nine months for just the ACL. But consider that I have an ACL and MCL might be that range or 10 months but it's okay you know it's been six months already i feel like it's been forever or a couple of years already <laughs> what is that feeling like i mean you were you, you were fighting regularly you were in great shape and then taking that time off how frustrating is that um knowing how in shape you were and and, and what it's going to take to get back is it frustrating well he's very frustrated um not just being able to do a lot of stuff, you know, uh, the first, the first few months, you're, you're not even independent. Uh, you have to rely on people, uh, to do everything to, to get in the car, you know, but it's a process though. Like, uh, as a fighter, you, you knew that eventually sometime, sometime down the road, this kind of thing can happen to you as a part of, of your job, you know. But, um, no, man, I'm just so excited. Obviously, you're talking about shape. Uh, I'm very out of shape, but I'm back into it now. I can work out, uh, do, like, physical um, strength and conditioning, uh, rehab, strengthen that leg, the most important one, do some fitness, uh, hit meets. Um, hopefully, one month from now, I'll be back to the gym, able to, like, at least, like, uh, drill, I have some drill, hopefully. So I'm working on it. So the goal is that in the next two months is for me to be back in the gym, fully trained, if everything goes well. You know? and, with, and with the time off, are you looking at spring of next year? Is that a little early? Is that what you're looking at, spring of next year, to come back and actually fight? Spring? Uh, what time is spring? I mean, yeah, like like uh, March, April of next year. Maybe earlier. Okay. Maybe earlier. I mean, if everything goes well, I will be like uh, in December. I'm hitting nine months, and January I'll be ten months. Uh, I should be hundred. I should be like at least ninety percent by that time. So, yeah, I'm looking forward for earlier than spring. So I'm speaking, of course, to Francis Ngannou, UFC heavyweight champion. One thing that you know is 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 on everybody's mind is how are talks going with the UFC? Have they been ongoing? Uh, what's your contract status right now? Uh, my contract status right now is still the same. I haven't received any offer, so wow. Um, it's still the same. We haven't really 
get worked into. I hope like uh, in the next uh, three months, uh, two to three months, we get to uh, deal with that, to solve that. Has that been surprising to you, considering they know the rehab timetable, they know what's going on and when you're going to be back, that, that more hasn't been going on since then? Or is that what you expected? No, no, it's not a surprise to me. Like, uh, I think we are not in the rush. I'm not in the rush either. Yeah. I mean, okay. I have, I'm not going anywhere, so I'm not rushing. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, we have uh, a whole time. Are you still looking to make a splash in boxing, be it Tyson Fury or someone else? Is that still very much on your mind as you're getting ready, as you're, tr- you're trying to get back into shape? Absolutely. Um, wh- whatever, um, however this uh, en- ends up, that has to be part of it. How does that change everything when it comes to your training, when it comes to your rehab, when you start, as you said, going back to the gym? If you don't know, is it going to be MMA? Is it going to be boxing? You don't know exactly. Is it going to be getting ready for MMA first? How does that affect your training once you are ready? Well, uh, even though I'm training, it's not for a fight. And then, um, first of all, I think after being um, in the recovery process for so many months, uh, the first thing that I need to do is to get in shape. That's first and foremost is to get in shape, then I'll worry about that after. You know, um, even if Boston wasn't in the on the landscape, you still have like an opening who could be like a striker or a wrestler that you have to adjust. But therefore, he has to be a fight announcement that you know that I'm fighting this specific guy. But you don't wait until that moment to start get in the gym because like you have to be in shape. So I'm speaking to Francis Ngannou, of course, recent knee surgery, uh, healing up, rehabbing. Is there, when you talk about various opponents that, 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 that could pop up, one of the big questions that the fans are interested in is, what's your preference for opponent? Of course, Cyril Gaon defeating Taito Avasa. Haven't seen anything from John Jones yet. Stipe Miocic still very much in the mix. What are your thoughts on potential opponents as you're getting ready? Hey, listen, man. I don't know. I have. I have the same question as they do. Um, I don't know exactly, but as preferred, as my preferred opponent, obviously he will be John Jones, as always wanted. You know, I need that big, that big, that big payday. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. also, I, and also, this this has to be a big uh, a statement. Like fighting John Jones is not is more than a payday. It's like, you know make a big statement. It's a big challenge. Um, I mean, the guy been rolling on the, uh, domini- dominating the sport for over a decade. So I think he's a big, he's a good test. When you think about that, was there similar pressure on your shoulders when you fought Cyril Gaon? It seemed like the UFC was behind him. He had the interim belt. He was seen as this next-generation heavyweight. Did you feel a similar kind of pressure fighting him in your last fight that you would take it on a John Jones meeting, making a statement about who, who you are as a fighter? Well, um, no. I think John Jones is somebody who can bring me an add-on as a champion, you know, um, because uh, he has done a lot. I still consider, uh, regardless, I still consider John Jones as the um, uh, greatest of all the time. 
to ever step in the octagon. Uh, and you can argue that, but that's my opinion. So I think there is a challenge personally as an athlete to get to that level. Uh, for the rest, I'm good, man. I'm the champ. And then uh, it doesn't matter what what was going on leading up to the gunfight. I stopped that. I stopped that. So I'm the champ. And then I proved them wrong. Whoever doubted, you know. So I have nothing to prove. I'm a champ. What do you Ex think? I have nothing to prove to people except to myself, you know. So what do you think might be an issue for John Jones because he was a, he was a, a tall, skinny, rangy, light heavyweight. He's got to pack on a lot of muscle to compete in the heavyweight division. What do you think of the problems he might face, and what do you think he's going to be good at at heavyweight? If you're looking at it right now, well, uh, I don't see things. I don't view things like you because, like, to say he's skinny, this, that. No, John Jones was a. I think he was a too uh, legit uh, heavyweight that cut weight to go down. This is not mm -hmm. like he was walking around at 205. He was walking around at least at 230, which is like a decent heavyweight right there. You know, and then, yes, maybe he can put some muscles on, but it's not like he has to carry uh, 50 pounds or 100 pounds to get to the heavyweight division. No, it's one step, like, not even needed. There are still people in the heavyweight division that fight uh, at the same way that Jones was fighting at light heavyweight weight. And then as far as range, he's still tallest and uh, has the biggest range more than almost everyone in the heavyweight division. So I don't think that's something that truly matters because that's not a problem for him. That has never been. What do you think of the mentality? Because one thing you do notice in, in John Jones' fights, when he fought Alexander Augustus in the first time, Dominic Reyes, whenever he was looking at somebody that was his height or his size that he didn't have, as you mentioned, a ton of physical advantages against, he fought a completely different fight than against somebody he could kind of range and, and kind of big man a little bit. Um, do you think he psychologically... Alexander, it, Gust Alexander Gustafsson yeah. was... a. Uh, was a very, very big man. I think yeah. uh, among yeah. everyone, Gustafsson was the tallest one, uh, same yeah. high as John John, and John John fought him twice and properly, you know, so I don't think he has a problem with that. I mean, unless you can say, no, he didn't uh, dominate Alexander, beat Alexander Gustafsson twice. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where where the step up to heavyweight isn't just as you know about the frame. It's also about stepping in there with much harder punchers, guys who can do a lot more damage. You spent your whole time in that heavyweight division. You know what it's like to eat a heavyweight punch, and it's one of the things you just have to experience to know. What's your thought? on all the activity that's been going on in the heavyweight division in your absence. Of course, Cyril Gaon defeating Tai Tuavasa, uh, Curtis Blades still very, very good. We haven't seen John Jones yet. What are your thoughts on the division itself uh, as you've been having your surgery and rehabbing? What do you mean by my thought on the division? The division is where it is. I mean, uh, I don't understand the sense of the question. Do you, be do you believe that, like... Cyril gone and Curtis Blades and the other contenders have gotten better in your absence. Do you feel it's pretty much the same guys you had faced before? What do you think of that? Well, whatever I think of that, it doesn't matter. The fight is still going. And uh, I mean, everyone is getting better over time. Like, yeah. people are going to the gym every day, and you don't go to the gym every day. You don't put that much work and come back empty. No, it's not possible. They are getting better. 
yes, tear gun is getting better. Caddy's get, get, uh, blade is still getting better. By the way, I would like to see those two guys. <laughs> I'm very excited to see how that goes. I, I, I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Of course, I'm speaking to France Ngannou, UFC heavyweight champion, uh, that Cyril Gunn said publicly that Curtis Blades doesn't have the name and he's dangerous and I don't want to fight that guy. I was really surprised he said that publicly. Uh, did, did that surprise you at all? I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying that he would say that. I, I thought it was a little strange. What did you think? Well, I think uh, he has fought a lot of people that had a name. And then he didn't have a name. He built his name off of people. And now he started to walk around like the man, like he's running the house, which is not the case. Mm. Very interesting. Like, it's something you hear a lot, right? Guys who are ranked third are like, no, I'm not fighting anybody below me. I'm only fighting the guys above me. It's like, well, you had to, you know, guys had to fight you at some point, right? You, you, you have to. So what, what happened when you become the champ? Because when you are the champ, everyone is below you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as far as, as, as far as I remember, I fought him, I was the champ. I mean, he was below me, definitely. By far, he was below. So, I mean, this is just the sport, God, man. When comes the time, you do what you have to do. The guy will, at some point, some guy will be below you, you will fight him. Some guy will be above you, you will fight him. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, that's how the sport I'm very curious, and 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 you you say that John Jones obviously would be the big money fight, It'd be the the fight that, that the fans really want to see. It would be huge for the sport itself. Would you like to see John Jones get a fight at heavyweight first before fighting you, or would you like that to be the, his first fight at heavyweight? I'm very curious about that. I don't have any say to that. Uh, first of all, I don't have any decision on what whatever John Jones. Uh, would do before fight or if he will even fight in the heavyweight division you know you have to understand like in here you don't have too much decision you just fight you know so Jojon hasn't been fighting anybody uh, at any time he was clear that he wanted to fight um, for the title if he step up and I mean I can't blame him he said he still technically, I mean, he vacated. I think he vacated the, the title, but yeah. he was the champ. So he's still technically the champ, like legitly. To be the man, you got to beat the man. That's very, very true. My last question for you before I let you go is, is there anything other than boxing right now hanging up you re-signing with UFC? Are there any other hang-ups or problems you want addressed other than uh, letting you box while competing in the UFC? Yeah, of course. I mean, when you look at the uh, at the sport, you think everything is perfect. No, I don't think everything is perfect. Uh, over the time, I um, I realize there's a lot of issue that can be fixed. You know, um, and uh, I was getting frustrated at some point. Why? Because like I was, um, I feel unprotected, and which is exactly the situation that we all fighters are into. You know, I would like for the USA to consider a lot of uh, their position in a lot of things now regarding to fighter sponsorship. I think fighters should, should also have a right to to, to put a, get a sponsor on their shirt, not just uh, for the company to make money out of it. 
why them they are not making money of it you know i understand that they want to make this uniform stuff to make the sport clean i understand that but uh or maybe not let any type of sponsor get in the octagon which is not um any kind of unappropriate sponsor brand get in the octagon which i truly uh agree with that but we should have like you know some sort of way to uh, check and approve certain sponsors so you can bring your sponsor inside and make money out of it we i i feel like over the time uh, ufc fighter we are getting we are losing a lot of power the company is getting big getting stronger and we are have no power maybe because they are have that we have nobody there uh, to defend, to to advocate for us they just sit in the room make their decision nobody cares for fighter even though there's about 700 fighter in the promotion and then i think we should even they should consider like have somebody advocate for fighter somebody who can because i believe that they don't take all those decision uh, to harm fighters but sometimes they don't just understand the fighter position so i believe that if we get some sort of like fighter representing uh in maybe in the board meeting we will be like okay guys you should think about fighters i mean just to remind them sometime i think thing will be a little better because there's a lot of things that a lot of things that can be uh changed now who can be right you know um i mean the the fight the fighter pay, pay that's a huge problem that everyone aware of and it seems like we keep rolling like nothing is going on um the health insurance the same problem i need to i would like to see some of those off like f- listen the thing is that through everything that i've been through my goal is to not get any chance to get in some the same position anymore and if i can do anything to prevent that to happen to anyone else related or not related in the future I would be happy to francis let's, let's make are... this let's make the, let's make the sport the greatest sport francis i appreciate a lot of people a lot of people um fight for this sport to for it in order to be what it is today and i think uh for us it's also our duty to do something to leave a better spot to the next generation. I appreciate those goals a lot, Francis. I hope you get everything you're looking for, man. I hope your rehab goes great. I really appreciate you making time for me and my listeners on Unlocking the Cage. Best of luck to you, champ. Thank you, Jimmy. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. There's a guy, Steve Farhood from Showbox, who has forgotten more about boxing this morning than I have ever known my entire life. He makes me feel stupid every time I discuss boxing with him, but I love it. Steve, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Jimmy, and you know what? Maybe I know boxing, but nobody knows presidents like you. 
That's right. We all have our niche. Don't start making me sound smart, Steve. It's just, it's, it's, <laughs> the, the, my, my audience will have a totally different impression of me. It's not going to work. So, uh, there's so much boxing news. I got to figure out kind of where to start. Let's start off with the, the fight this weekend Canelo versus Triple G. One of the things I was talking about while, while breaking down this fight, I like it. Um, I do think it's an excellent trilogy. I'm really looking forward to it. But it seems as though Canelo, since the first Triple G fight, is getting better and better and better with every fight. And we may have seen the best of Triple G during their first fight. What do you think of that perspective? I think it's accurate. I think that the first few rounds of Triple G's last fight in Japan was very indicative of the fact that he's 40 years old now. And, uh, you know, he's not going to get better at this point where Canelo doesn't have to get better. He just has to stay the same. And uh, one other big factor that I don't hear anybody talking about, which is that this fight is at a super middleweight. You know, the first two fights they had were at middleweight. And in addition to being 40 now, Golovkin is moving up in weight. He's only fought once in his whole life at about 163. And now he has a limit of 168 that Canelo is very comfortable at because Canelo's last, I think, six fights have been at... 168. So the fact that the fight is, you know, you, you look at Golovkin's body and you say, oh, he can, he, he's rangy, he can, he can add the few pounds. But he's not used to fighting it this way, and Canelo is, and I think that's a big advantage that, that people aren't talking about. What is it stylistically about Canelo Alvarez that he's gone up to light heavyweight and had success when he essentially a puffed-up middleweight frame, maybe middleweight, super middleweight? What is it is about, uh, about his technique and his style that he's able to traverse these weight classes with success? Well, it's a great point. Of course, his last fight, I think he lost to Bivol because he wasn't really a light heavyweight. I mean, he's, yeah. he's 5'8", you know. That's short. That's short for middleweight, much less a light heavyweight. But nonetheless, I think his defense is so underrated, and I think that's one of the reasons why he can fight. And his chin, let's face it. How many times do you remember Canelo being down in a fight? So, you know, you combine the defense and the chin, and he's going to be able to fight bigger guys who maybe can punch harder than him with one shot, and he can be successful against them. And so far, with the exception of that people fight, that's been the case. What do you think of the line, and I've asked other fight analysts and fans about this, where we reward and we appreciate a fighter going up in weight class or taking on a bigger challenge or anything like this, and yet when they fail, we kind of pile it on them. Like, we kind of want it both ways. We want them to take big risks. When they fail at those big risks, oh, he's shot or he's overrated and all these things. Um, it seemed like Canelo kind of ran into that, where, as you said, he's fighting naturally maybe two weight classes up, and yet when he lost to a much bigger fighter who did have excellent boxing skills, fought a very tight fight, um that he's therefore overrated or tried to do too much. What are your thoughts on that as, as a pundit? Well, it's a great subject specifically relating to Canelo because I really believe, look, I've been, you know how long I've been doing this. I've heard a lot of really, really great fighters say that they're not scared of anybody, they'll fight anybody. That's true to a limit, to a degree. Canelo, I really believe, will fight anybody, and that's why he's moved up in weight so many times somewhat most of the time successful now some people are critical of him his last fight he maybe shouldn't have taken it against a legitimate light heavyweight but when it's all said and done i mean look at oscar de la hoya oscar de la hoya fought everybody did he beat everybody no he lost to some people along the way but he's considered an all-time great fighter and i think with time once these guys careers are over and this will be the case with canelo people are going to look at him and say man the guy had a big pair of cojones he fought everybody he never ducked anybody maybe he didn't win every time but, you know, he fought Mayweather early, he fought Bivol late as a light heavyweight, and everybody in between. So I think he's going to be appreciated, and people seem to appreciate that fact 
of a fighter's career more so when they're retired as, as opposed to when they're still active. Speaking to Steve Farhood from Showtime Boxing, love speaking to him about boxing. Unbelievable. He literally wrote the boxing encyclopedia. I have a signed copy, by the way. Don't mean to brag. But when you look at that, I, I, I feel like I always have to remind people. We did a thing about the documentary on, on the Four Kings. We had the filmmaker on our show, and I talked to, to him about this. I said, look, Roberto Duran is often kind of dismissed among the Four Kings as you know the only one to lose to all four to, to the other three. And I said, he's a natural lightweight. People forget he was fighting guys who were nice-sized, at least welterweights, if not middleweights, and Roberto Duran was more comfortable at 135 pounds. Um, Floyd Mayweather, oh, he's not a very hard puncher. He's a natural lightweight, and he's fighting guys 15 pounds heavier. How many people just seem to underestimate that? You're 100% right, and I think Mayweather and Pacquiao were both examples of guys that probably had their biggest wins at welterweight, and they weren't really welterweights. I mean, you know, what, what was the high Floyd ever walked around at? One fifty one, one fifty two. Maybe, so, yeah. Maybe because he stayed in shape, and and he and he was a, he was a very small welterweight, and so was Pacquiao, and 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 Duran. You know, you look at Duran, you say, okay, he lost to the other three of the uh, four kings, but look what he did above lightweight. He beat Ray Leonard when Ray Leonard was undefeated. He he beat you know he beat Iran Barkley, who was a monster middleweight. Huge. Yeah. Davey Moore at 154, who was undefeated at the time. So, you know, if you do enough and you win enough, big ones, the fans ultimately are going to be forgiving when you lose one. When you look at the my, my last question about the, the Canelo Triple G fight, the way this fight has gotten more personal, there's a bit more of a personal edge than there was in the first two fights. What is it about these two guys that other opponents haven't really had a problem with? They don't seem to like one another. What do you think that is? Yeah, that's interesting because neither one really has had that yeah. kind of relationship with a lot of the other fighters they fought. Um, it just seems like Canelo thinks Triple G's a phony. That's what he said. He said he comes off as the nicest guy. Now, look, I don't pretend to know Triple G well personally, but you know, from the little bit I've known, which was mostly years ago, he seemed like a very nice guy and a very good guy and a very classy champion. So I'm not sure where Canelo gets that. But, you know, because the fights that they did have were close and because so much time has passed, since their second fight, I think that has contributed to the animosity. And uh, let's face it also, it is a pay-per-view fight, and you got to sell pay-per-view fights, so a little bit of animosity doesn't hurt. Never does. Never does. So let's, let's speak about a fight that is apparently in the works for November 19th. This is one of those fights, you know it's big, because I'm reading articles that it's almost done, it's almost signed, they've agreed in principle, and that's news. Of course, I'm talking about Spence Crawford. Um, Are you hearing this is all but done? Because that's what we're reading. What are you hearing? Well, it's been reported that way by ESPN. I know that. Um, I'm hoping, you know, generally speaking, when there's a big fight that people are trying to make and you don't hear a lot in the press and you don't hear a lot of commentary about it, that's a good sign. That means progress is being made. So, you know, look, where is either one of these guys going to be without each other at this point? You know, I mean, I guess Spence can move up and wait. I guess Crawford can move up and wait, maybe fight Charlo. I I don't know. But they need each other. They really do. They need each other for right now. They need each other for their legacies. You know, the the winner would be the first ever in the four-belt era, the first ever unified, undisputed welterweight champion. So these guys need each other. I think it'll happen. I can't pretend to know any inside info. But, again, that's because – when negotiations are serious, then, you know, the press usually doesn't hear about it until, until it's done. So I, I think within a short period of time we'll get this done, and uh, it'll be in November. 
A former manager of Bernard Hopkins said one time he'd rather have all of $1 million than split $2 million 50-50. Now, that, it's true. I was, that was told to me, that was told publicly about Bernard Hopkins by a former manager. How much of these negotiations is about ego? That although, as you said, they could move up, they could do this, they, and make a fraction of the, what they would make fighting one another, but they'd make more than their opponent. Is, is, is that part of it? Is that why these fights oh, don't get yeah, made sometimes? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Ego is a big part of it. Look, believe me, in the heart of hearts, both Crawford and Spence are convinced that they can beat the other guy. There's no, there's no doubt about that. You know, these are two great, great fighters. Pound for pound right now, both in the top five, maybe both in the top three. I don't know. You want to include in away from Japan and that group. But... Ego has a lot to do with it because the first thing you have to decide in a pay-per-view fight is what are going to be the guarantees? Am I giving one guy, now Spence has three belts, Crawford has one, granted. Am I giving one guy more than, you know, 50%? That's number one. And then you have to work out, of course, the pay-per-view upside. If the fight does really well, each fighter is going to get a piece of that pay-per-view money. So there's a lot to work out that's different for a pay-per-view fight than it is for a regular fight on Showtime or in the old days HBO or network TV. And, and they have to work that out. And ego, you know, if you tell Terrence Crawford you're not getting 50%, you're getting 45 or you're getting 40, well, that's, when, that's where ego comes into play, and it definitely can be a factor. Uh, I know you're a professional. I know you are uh, a, a neutral party in all affairs. Right now, as we're sitting here in September, I give, give you $1,000. Which way are you leaning in a hypothetical Spence Crawford showdown right now? Well, being that the fight is very likely to end up on Showtime pay-per-view, I will not commit right. because I score these fights unofficially. You... And I get I really into enough trouble as it is <laughs> on Twitter and with fans who say, you know, you, you, you were wrong here, you were wrong here. So I, I, I will not be making any picks, but I'll tell you what. There's not a fight that can be made today that I'm looking forward to more. These are two great fighters. You want to say it's going to be a close fight? I'm not going to argue with you because these guys have tremendous skills and talent, tremendous resumes. You know, so I, while I'm not going to make a pick, and to be honest with you, Jimmy, if you, if you made me make a pick right now, I don't know what I'd say. It's, it's that close. I, I really think so. Are you surprised as well? And I'm speaking to, uh, of course, Steve Farhood from Showtime Boxing about some upcoming bo uh, boxing matches. Now, I had Eddie Hearn on about three weeks ago, and he said Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury is the most lucrative fight in boxing to make. He said it didn't matter that uh, Joshua lost to Anthony Usyk. I'm sorry, Alexander Usyk twice. That doesn't matter. This is the juiciest fight in boxing, and it looks like it might get made. Do you agree with Eddie Hearn about that, the financials of this fight? Well, I, I wouldn't say that it's, it, it's the, the biggest fight that could be made because I think that – Joshua Wilder, when that was in play, would have been bigger. And I think, obviously, if Joshua had beaten Usyk the second time, then Joshua Fury would be almost unimaginably big. So is it still big? Of course it's still big. It's still you know two major players, two British fighters. Um, it would be very big, but I don't think it's as big as it could be. And I think Eddie's speaking just some, you know, some promoter talk there. But would I like to see it? Of course. You know, I'd love to see it. What is the difficulty with Anthony Joshua? Of course, um, we have the, the 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 two losses to Alexander Usyk, and it's just that idea that he has the frame, he has the jab, he has certain skills, but putting it all together has been a bit of an issue in certain fights. What do you think of that? that opinion of Anthony Joshua, which is just so close to being the greatest of his era, but right now you got to put him third. Is that 
Is that on him? Is that on his training? What do you think of that? That he's close but not quite there? I agree with the assessment, but I think that in in analyzing Joshua right now, not the people are not giving enough credit to Usyk. You know, Usyk's now beaten him twice. Usyk yes. is a matchup nightmare, much as Tyson Fury is a matchup nightmare for different reasons. But you know, there's never been a six foot nine heavyweight who can move like Tyson Fury. Well, Usyk is is the rarity of rarities, which is a cruiserweight who can fight at heavyweight, fight the big boys, and remain elusive and remain. He's a very difficult fighter. He's he's a he's a great fighter, and the fact that he twice beat Joshua. Um, you know, it, it's not a surprise. I mean, I think Usyk would be difficult for anybody. So instead of knocking Joshua, I tend to build up Usyk more and, uh, you know, and give him the credit. And Joshua, yeah, he's been a little bit of dis- disappointment. Uh, the biggest disappointment of all is that he never fought Wilder. And if they ever fought today, that would still be a fantastic fight that everybody would want to see. So it's not always about winning and losing. Sometimes it's just about matchups. And, you know, we know how exciting Wilder can be. Even even losing to Fury, he was exciting. So I, I think that's that's the case with uh, in, in analyzing Joshua's career. Why is that such a difficult leap to make? Now that I have a boxing historian on the phone, which I don't often get, that cruiserweight to heavyweight jump. Uh, Evander Holyfield did it. Of course, Michael Moore went from light heavyweight to heavyweight and won a world title. Why is that leap so incredibly difficult? It seems like you have to start out in heavyweight to be a great heavyweight. Why has that move up been so difficult? As you just said, Alexander Usyk did it, but it's so rare. Well, I'll give you a little bit of a take that's perhaps a little different than most people would say. Please. I think one of the reasons it's such a different, and God knows enough cruiserweights have tried it. I think the reason is financial, greed. The money mm-hmm. you can make as a heavyweight is so much greater than the money you can make as a cruiserweight. And a lot of these guys, whether they're you know Dwight Muhammad Kawi, who was five foot seven, or whoever they are, whatever cruiserweight you want to name, who moved up, a lot of them are moving up for the wrong reason. You know, they're not moving up because they can fight at that weight. They're not moving up because they can be successful at that weight. They're moving up because they want to get paid. You know, and, and yeah, maybe Holyfield made some good money as a cruiserweight and some others have. But for the most part, it's, it's a bastardized division. And they move up for the wrong reason. And that's why most of them have not been successful. Because, you know, going from 200 in this day and age where guys are regularly 240, 250, that's a big jump. And then that's, that's, you know, a good big man is, is usually going to beat the, the good little man. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's an old expression that you and I know. (laughs) Tyson Fury not known as a guy who stays on the rails under the best of circumstances. Do you think the longer this fight takes to get made or the longer it takes to actually happen, the more it hurts Tyson Fury? You know, Tyson Fury is an interesting case, but it seems like long layoffs don't really affect him that much. It really doesn't. He's able to do it. And and I can only go by recent history. You know, you go back a ways, and Tyson Fury had a lot of personal issues, obviously. But it doesn't seem like they've affected him in the ring in recent years. So I'm not that concerned with the fight not getting made right away. You know, Fury's talk about being retired. You know, Tyson Fury talks a great game. I I don't. He he obviously loves the limelight, and he's not going to be in the limelight as much if he doesn't fight. And that's one of the main reasons guys fight as long as they do, because, you know, superstars, because they love the limelight. So I, I, I think he'll fight again. I think that maybe this fight will get made, maybe it won't. But I, I think he's going to be okay in terms of his performance. I don't think the layoff will uh, be that much of a negative. The last question I have for you is is honestly kind of one of my favorites when it comes to boxing, because I, much like you, remember quite fondly the Four Kings era of boxing, right? Sure. I remember when it was, you know, as we say, it was it was Tommy Hearns, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, 
Uh, it was Marvin Hagelin and Roberto Duran. They all fought one another, and they all did amazing things. When I look right now, what I'm excited about is the lightweight division and all the talent that is in that division. And we might see another Four Kings era. We have Devin Haney, Vasily Lomachenko, Javante Davis, George Cambosis Jr., Tiafimo Lopez. That's right now the top five everyone is talking about. What are your thoughts on that division and who ultimately ends up the king of it? Well, for starters, I'd like to see Gervonta fight King Rai, King Ryan yes. Garcia. That would be a great start. You know, it's, it's been a little frustrating. Now Devin Haney has all four belts at lightweight. Um, Gervonta Davis has one of the minor WBA belts. Say what you want about that. Um, but belts aside, you're right, the matchups are fantastic. I'm getting a little yeah. frustrated, though, because, you know, Lomachenko's yeah. next fight is against uh, a fight, Jermaine Ortiz, I believe it is. It, not, you know, <laughs> the fact fighter, that you're but, going, I believe, I think, in- indicates yeah, all we need all to know, need right? To know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're not getting the matchups we want. That's the point at lightweight. And, and, you know, usually money solves all problems in boxing in regard to fighters fighting each other, big names. And maybe the money isn't there, I don't know. But, you know, Javante Davis is a huge star who's drawn big pay-per-view numbers and big live numbers. Ryan Garcia is a big star, so that would be a great start. And then, you know, Ed, Ed we, we've lost Teofimo Lopez. He's now at 140, so he's not part of the equation. But uh, Haney uh, has all four belts, so he's going to be in demand. And, and I'd like to see these fights. I, I'm just getting a little frustrated that it's taking as long as it does. Most of these fighters are pretty young, so that's in their favor to the fact that they, if they do eventually fight, there's still time to play with. But I hope it happens sooner rather than later because I am getting a little suspicious. Steve, I appreciate you so much. Steve Farhood, Showtime Boxing. Anytime we have boxing news, you're the man I'm going to call. Appreciate your time as always, buddy. Jimmy, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. MMA on SiriusXM is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Plus, catch Unlocking the Cage weekdays from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern and MMA Today Tuesday to Thursday from 12 to 2 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, Channel 156, and on the SXM app. SiriusXM Podcasts.